नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय Bhagavad Gita as it is chapter 4 text 3 translation and commentary by his divine grace Srila AC Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada founder acharya viska sa sa eva yang maya te dya yoga prokta par atanaha bhakto sime sakha cheti rahasyam etat uttamam that very ancient science of the relationship with the supreme is today told by me to you because you are my devotee as well as my friend and can therefore understand the transcendental mystery of this science the poet there are two classes of men namely the devotee and the demon the lord selected arjuna as the recipient of this great science owing to his being a devotee of the lord but for the demon it is not possible to understand this great mysterious science there are a number of editions of this great book of knowledge Some of them have commentaries by the devotees and some of them have commentaries by the demons. Commentation by the devotees is real whereas that of the demons is useless. Arjuna accepts Krishna as the supreme personality of Godhead and any commentary on the Gita following in the footsteps of Arjuna is real devotional service to the cause of this great science. The demoniac however do not accept Lord Krishna as he is. Instead they concoct something about Krishna. and mislead general readers from the path of Krishna's instructions here is a warning about such misleading paths one should try to follow the disciplic succession from arjuna and thus be benefited by this great science of shriman bhagavad gita in this verse which i've read from bhagavad gita as it is lord krishna explains to arjuna why he is speaking bhagavad gita to him and what is the reason because arjuna is a devotee of krishna this constitutes his eligibility there has to be some eligibility for hearing bhagavad gita it's not that it should be spoken to anyone and everyone of course we distribute this bhagavad gita widely we go door to door and ask people to take it but not everyone takes it that anyone takes the book from us means that they have some eligibility or even the fact that they take it means that they have some some kind of inclination towards krishna is there just like you see any subject just now the admissions must be going on in the college isn't it this is admissions time so who gets admitted and who doesn't there has to be some eligibility so the minimum requirement is that you should have good marks in your hsc examination and a lot of the time the eligibility also it means how much you can pay donation to the college they call and there may be so many other donations going on nyay and anyay both ways are going on but some eligibility is required 
Actually, the eligibility for entering the college should be that you have certain grade. And now the government have made that you, you have extra eligibility if you're a non-Hindu or a non-Brahmin or like this. If you're a Christian, then you have more eligibility. But actually the eligibility should be according to your ability to understand the subject. Now, for entering college, the eligibility to understand the subject is based upon one's marks that he has received in the school level. In other words, it is simply based upon one's academic ability. But the ability to understand Bhagavad Gita, it does not simply depend upon brain power. Even an Einstein cannot enter into the mystery of understanding Bhagavad Gita if he doesn't have this qualification that he has some, at least some preliminary inclination towards Krishna. We see that Krishna spoke Bhagavad Gita to Arjuna. Now, Arjuna was certainly an, an intelligent person. Otherwise, how could he even begin, begin to understand philosophy? Bhagavad Gita is philosophy. But in terms of manifest or apparent intelligence, he may not have been the most intelligent person on the planet at this time. Arjuna wasn't particularly known as a philosopher. He was a Kshatriya. Of course, Bhishma, he was also Kshatriya. He's also known as a philosopher or a speaker on morality. But in general, the Brahmin caste, they were more known as philosophers. And in those days, there were many great rishis. Even Vyasadeva himself was present in the world. So Vyasadeva, his whole life was dedicated to philosophical explanation. He was writing Shastras, compiling Shastras. Whereas Arjuna, although he was not unphilosophical, the whole Vedic culture was based on philosophy, as opposed to the modern culture, which is based on absolute neglect of philosophy and simply uh, cinema decorating the body. is absolutely non-philosophical or anti-philosophical. Simply, if you want to say in one word, what is the modern way of life based on sex, that's all. Which is not philosophical because, as Prabhupada said, the cats and birds, they don't need Freud. Freud was explaining so-called philosophy in terms of sex. So Prabhupada said that you don't need all these things, you don't need, you don't need any big explanation the cats and the dogs are doing without any Freud to guide them. So that's not philosophy. That's simply cat-dog-animal life. So Arjun, he was uh, not non-philosophical or unphilosophical, but he wasn't dedicated to philosophy in the same way that Vyasadeva, for instance, was, or the Brahmanas and Rishis were. He was a Kshatri, he was a practical person, he was active in the world. A fighter. That was his his train. His main training was in fighting. So why Krishna has explained why he is speaking this philosophy? 
to him, to Arjuna, because he is a devotee of Krishna. And therefore he is able to understand this philosophy, this philosophy of the absolute truth which Krishna speaks to Arjuna culminates in bhakti. It is well known at least among Hindus, maybe not that well known nowadays, but it was previously well known that Gita, in Gita Krishna discusses karma, jnana, yoga and bhakti. And actually it culminates in bhakti. All these different parts culminate in bhakti, which means pure devotional service, surrender to Krishna. So as Krishna states elsewhere in Gita, bhaktya mama vijanati, I can be understood through bhakti. So the qualification to understand the highest philosophy is bhakti. Bhakti itself is bhaktya shrutagrihitaya. Bhakti is based on hearing philosophy. It's not that bhakti, in bhakti there is no tattvagyan. Tattvagyan is the basis of bhakti. Without that, there may be some sentiment, but that can be easily misplaced. Just like we see for lack of tattvagyan, people they say we are doing bhakti. But they don't know actually who is Bhagawan, what is the nature of the jiva. They don't know these important points and therefore they make so many errors. For lack of this knowledge, what is the position of the jiva, what is the position of Bhagawan? For lack of this knowledge, the, the one very common error is that jiva and Bhagawan are the same. Or that the jiva will become Bhagawan. Another common error is to mistake so many non-Bhagawan personalities, so many jivas as Bhagawan. Which is another, it is another configuration of the same mistake. To think that the jiva can be Bhagawan means I will become Bhagawan. Or to mistake another jiva for Bhagawan. To think that, oh, this guru or this so-called avatar, this is Bhagawan. In Gujarat it's very common people think that one Sahajanan Swami, who in his own writings presented himself as a devotee of Radha Krishna, but many people think that he himself is directly Bhagawan. And now uh, there are so many. Now they say some, what is that, Akshara Purushottam, no philosophy, no, no actual Tatvagyan. They misunderstand. And in India there are so many people who claim to be or are claimed to be Bhagawan, which previously it wasn't like that. If you look in the history of, for want of a better word, Hinduism, we won't find that there were so many avatars, so-called, in the past. But we find in the modern age there are so many so-called avatars. This was not possible previously because previously within Hindu culture, Tattvagyan, or knowledge of Bhagavad Gita, was widely disseminated. And so it, it wasn't that, like nowadays, anyone can stand up and say, I am Bhagawan, and people will believe it. Recently in South India, one man, he was a, a worker in, in an LIC office, and one day he declared, I am Bhagawan, Kalki Abhata. And so many people are following, 
And you'll find even many so-called Brahmins from the Sri Vaishnava, Ramanuja Sampradaya, they're following and they consider him Bhagavan. It means they have no knowledge of what is the meaning of Bhagavan. Otherwise they could not make such a foolish mistake. So knowledge is definitely required. Knowledge means philosophical knowledge. Again, this term philosophical knowledge in the modern day that's much misunderstood because they've introduced this It's very common, we can say Western idea, but it's also promulgated in India now that, well, just whatever you think, you take some ideas from different thinkers and you jumble it up in your head, and this is called philosophy. But actually, tattva gyan, that is something different. That means it has to be based on shastra. And shastra also, not that you take something from, that's another bogus idea. Someone speaks, someone stands up and says, we're having a Bhagavad Gita jnana yagya. Then he reads some verse from Bhagavad Gita and then talks all nonsense which has got nothing to do with Bhagavad Gita. They'll simply, uh, they'll use Bhagavad Gita because people think Bhagavad Gita has some value. Of course Bhagavad Gita has value. So if they say that I am Swami so and so and today I'm going to speak whatever nonsense thing comes in my head, then uh, people, they won't give it much importance. But if he says I'm going to speak Bhagavad Gita, they think, oh, very important, very good, very important. So he speaks Bhagavad Gita, maybe one or two Sanskrit words, and then all kinds of garbage comes out of his mouth, which would better come out of his backside. But uh, it's uh, all kinds of garbage. This is Bhagavad Gita. And nothing to do with Bhagavad Gita. So this is not tattva again. This is, it's neither tattva nor is it gyan. It's simply verbal diarrhea, that's all. All kinds of nonsense. But people, uh, they, they accept that. So people who are inclined to listen to so much rubbish, they cannot understand Bhagavad Gita as it is. Because to understand this, this knowledge, one actually has to have some kind of previous sukriti or pious activities which incline one towards bhakti. Because actually Bhagavad Gita is only meant for teaching bhakti. In Bhagavad Gita, karma, jnana and yoga are also discussed, but only to show that ultimately one has to surrender to Krishna. As Krishna says, ultimately at the end of Bhagavad Gita, Sarvadhaman parityaja mamekam sharanam raja. That my dear Arjuna, now I told you about karma, jnana and yoga, but you should understand it's all useless, just surrender to me. But leaving this verse aside, which is the conclusion of Bhagavad Gita, they'll take so many other things out of context and say, oh, come, just like the most popular verse of Bhagavad Gita, or two lines that we hear people say, And this they interpret to mean, you should just work like an ass, and this is Bhagavad Gita. But you don't need Bhagavad Gita to teach you to work like an ass. It's not required. Asses don't need Bhagavad Gita. They're very happy, foolish asses, working, 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 working. And they're an ass. They're not Ganis. They're not Arjuna. Krishna never said to Arjuna, you should become an ass. Rather he said, avajananti mamudha. Don't be like an ass who misunderstands me. So Krishna never spoke to Arjuna that you should simply become a foolish ass. But foolish asses, they take Bhagavad Gita and 
They speak all rubbish like an ass, which has got nothing to do with Bhagavad Gita. And similar asses who have no actual brain or intelligence think, oh, he's speaking very high philosophy. When one ass makes this noise, then other asses think, oh, this is very intelligent. I should also do. And they also do. And among the asses, they think, oh, you see, PhD. Very, very intelligent. Very high class. Very philosophical ass. You see, and you see this ass, he's going all day and carrying rocks on his back. What a highly elevated ass. You see, and not only that, but he speaks philosophy to justify it. You see, at the end of the day, he makes this noise. You see, a very highly wonderful philosopher. So in the same way, people, they speak, You see, I'm a philosopher. I can speak philosophy. I know Bhagavad Gita. See, I'm a very highly elevated rishi and sage. I know Bhagavad Gita. And I, not only that, but I practically put it into action. I work in my office 18 hours every day without fail, seven days a week. So that proves I'm a, I have understood Bhagavad Gita. But actually it's got nothing to do with Bhagavad Gita. Krishna spoke to Bhagavad Gita to Arjuna because he wasn't such a fool that he took something out of context, misunderstood it, and then just did any nonsense that he liked. That's another thing you see in Bhagavad Gita. Krishna tells Arjuna that uh, you do I've spoken to you Bhagavad Gita now you decide what to do you do as you like but then Krishna tells Arjuna that if you don't do what I say then you're going to be finished and then Arjuna says that Krishna by hearing you what you have explained to me, my illusion has become eradicated and now I'm free from all doubts and I'm prepared to follow your order. So that's why Krishna spoke Bhagavad Gita to Arjuna because he was ready to understand what Krishna taught him, how to surrender to Krishna. Not that Arjuna said that, oh, I, all right, I can do whatever I like. Okay, well, I think I'll just do, you know, take a little rest on this chariot, smoke a cigarette or two and or I should go well, go and work in a factory. He never said, he said, I will do what you say, Krishna. I will work as you have ordered. That is Bhagavad Gita, that is Bhakti. To do what Krishna says, to follow Krishna's order. Not that you simply talk all nonsense and say, I am speaking Bhagavad Gita. That is not Bhagavad Gita. We have to understand Bhagavad Gita as Arjuna understood it because he is selected as a fit candidate for understanding Bhagavad Gita because he is prepared to do what Krishna says. This is the point that we have to surrender to Krishna. We have to follow what Krishna says. Not that we simply uh, in the name of Krishna speak all nonsense and do all nonsense. That has got nothing to do with spiritual life. And anyone who teach, so-called teaches Bhagavad Gita and teaches that mundane welfare work or you simply merge into the existence of the Supreme or anything else than what Krishna teaches which is that we should surrender to him they are not teaching Bhagavad Gita they are simply cheating others but many people like to be cheated many people say to us you see in your ISKCON 
How many people do you actually have following? You have such rules, no meat-eating, no gambling, no illicit sex, surrender to Krishna. You go to there are some bapus and they come and thousands, lakhs of people come in their pandals and they initiate thousands of people at one time. They have so many followers and you don't have many followers. So people accuse like this. What is the value? Well, in this regard, Prabhupada told one story from Hitopadish that once a rabbit met a tigress, a rabbitess, female rabbit, there's no such word as rabbitess. A rabbit's not such an important animal that there's a name for the female. So anyway, female rabbit said to the tigress, you see, I have, uh, I have children three or four times a year. I give them. And every time I have seven or eight children. And you only give birth once a year to one child. The tigress said, yeah, but that's a tiger, not a rabbit. <laughs> and I'll eat you too. You're so foolish to speak to me, I'll eat you. You're not fit to speak with me. So in the same way, then, if you speak all nonsense, anyway people are nonsense, we are in this material world because we are Icha Dvesha Samutena Dvandva Mohena Bharata Sarabhutani Samnoham Sargayanti Parantapa In Gita Krishna says, why are we in this material world? Generally we think, I'm very great, I'm very wonderful, I'm so highly qualified, I am, I am the light of the world, because of me the world is spinning round Generally, we have so many delusions about how wonderful I am. But in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna explains that actually we're all nonsense fools and rascals, and that's why we're in this material world. Because we have perverted desires for sense gratification, because we are envious of Krishna, because we are in illusion as to what the actual purpose of life is. We think that this petty life that we are living that simply working to get some money, eating, sleeping, passing, stool, and after some time dying. And we're thinking this life is very important. It's so important what I have to do. I have to earn money and get money or what for? To eat and sleep and die. We don't know what the actual purpose of life is. We take it so seriously. We're tiny living beings on a tiny planet in a tiny universe and we think I am very important. We are so foolish. So, in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna points out that, well, we're not very important. We're very small and tiny. But a cheating guru will say, yes, yes, you're very wonderful. You're very great. We like to hear this. We think, this is a very nice sadhu. He's telling me how wonderful I am, how nice I am. And these so-called sadhus, they like to collect many followers so they can advertise. I've got 20 lakhs disciples. And you see, that other guru, my competitor, he's only got 15 lakhs. I'm a better avatar than he is. But they're all useless. They're so-called disciples, they don't follow any discipline because the guru doesn't give them any discipline. That's the meaning of disciple, who follows discipline. The same word in Sanskrit. Shishya comes from the word shashan, shashthatu in Sanskrit. Discipline. 
They don't teach them anything. They, uh, they don't give them any discipline. So people think, yeah, well, that's good. That's good. And he can be my guru. Very nice. Nothing to follow, you see. If you come to this movement, we'll tell you, you should, there are so many rules and regulations. That means serious. It's like this, taking to spiritual life, it's not something light or cheap. That you see, uh, you just do a little meditation 15 minutes in the morning and uh, that's it. The rest of the day you, uh, you just be an ass, that's all. And for 15 minutes you can be a meditative ass. You see, you do, they say you do a meditation, do some deep breathing, and that will help to make you very relaxed and that will remove the stress and that will make you better in your business activities. So it helps you to be a better ass. This meditation, this helps you to cope with life better. But they don't teach what the actual purpose of life is and how to attain it. They don't teach Bhagavad Gita as it is. These so-called spiritualists, in the name of teaching spiritual life, they teach something which is totally mundane. How to, how to live in this world peacefully and how to relate with others better. It's got nothing to do with spiritual life. Spiritual life means to understand who we are. We are not the body, we are Atma. What is our position as Atma? What is our duty as Atma? How we can be benefited? We should understand this body is temporary. Within a short time it will be finished. It doesn't matter how much you go to the beauty parlor and you have horrible face packs put on your face. It's, it doesn't matter what you do, it's all going to be a mass of wrinkles after some time. So there's going to be so many lines on your face you could use it as a notebook. So old age will come, death will come within a short time. And we should understand that I am eternal, I am not the body, the body is temporary. And even all these situations that we face in life, they're teaching you, you see, how to interact with others and be nice to others and be good, but that's all. Okay, alright, we're not saying you should be nasty to others, but simply to teach how to live in this miserable material world in a better way, that has nothing to do with spiritual life. Nothing. We have to learn what, we, as, what is our position as Jivatma? What is our eternal position? This body will be finished very soon, but I will continue to exist. Who am I actually? I am thinking I am this body, but the body is temporary. I have no factual connection with the blood, bones, muscles, and hair, and stool, and intestines, and everything else that constitutes this body, because I am a spirit soul. But bogus so-called gurus, they don't teach these things. They don't teach who is Krishna. That is the actual point of spiritual knowledge, to understand who is Krishna, what is our relationship with him. They avoid this, because they are also envious of Krishna. So Arjuna, he was not envious of Krishna. He was ready to hear what Krishna had to say. He was ready to accept Krishna. Unless we are ready to accept Krishna as the Supreme Personality of Godhead, that I am subordinate to him. He is the master. I am not the master. I am subordinate to him. I have to serve him. That is my constitutional position. I should. I am not God. I am the servant of God. 
And we should know also this term God, a very vague term. No, it's not vague. God means Krishna. Krishna is supreme. We have to surrender to Him. Unless we understand this, there's no actual spiritual life. What is going on in the name of religion all over the world? It's mostly just some kind of quasi-religious social arrangement by which people think, I am very nice, I am very good, I am very pious, but there is no actual substance of understanding who is God, what is our relationship with Him. So that's why we won't find in the Christian conscious movement many people, because most people are actually not very sincere. Anyone who can go to a so-called guru and just take so-called initiation on the spot without any real inquiry into what is the absolute truth, what is the actual purpose of life, what is the meaning of life, very shallow, without going very deeply into this. I mean, mean shallow, you don't want to go deeply, then you don't get anything very deep. You simply get some shadow, some replica of what should be the real thing. The real thing is there, if we want to take it. If we want, this is the question. Do we want spiritual life or do we want to be cheated? If we want to be cheated, uh, there's so there's great competition going on. Thousands of cheaters are ready to gobble you up, to swallow you. And people are happy to be swallowed. Oh, my guru, keep the picture, and smiling face, big beard and nothing. Just a big show, that's all. But if we actually want spiritual life, then we have to be serious. We can't expect anything very cheaply. Just like if you actually want to become qualified as a doctor, which is a very... It's nothing compared to being a devotee of Krishna. It's a, it's a high material qualification. But it's... It, there's no comparison with being a devotee of Krishna. Devotee of Krishna is in much more elevated position. But if you want to be a doctor, you have to work for it. You, you might be able to bribe your way into a medical college, but you can just simply by bribing and bluffing, you can't perform surgeries. Even if, you, even if by bribery you could get a, a degree as an MBBS or whatever, then you'd soon be exposed if you have to start doing surgeries and you don't know how to do it. You'd soon be exposed as a quack, cheater. So there has to, if you want to be a doctor, you have to work hard, you have to study, you have to get the qualification. So in the same way, if we want, if we actually want spiritual life, we have to do something, take it seriously. Of course, spiritual life is by nature joyful, satchit-anandamai. But to enter into that satchit-anandamai situation, then some work is required. The work means giving up our material attachments. We can't, this is the whole bluff of cheating religion. I'm not saying whether Hinduism, Christianity, Islam, whatever. The whole bluff is that the so-called spiritualists say that you can be, you can enjoy everything material and at the same time be spiritual, but it's not true. Now it's also not true that you have to immediately give up everything to, be, to enter into Krishna consciousness or bona fide spiritual life. 
Actually, there's no question of giving up anything anyway, because factually we don't own anything. We're here and we come in this world empty-handed, we leave empty-handed, and in the meantime, in the middle, we say, this is my house, this is my car, this is my bank balance. I am the emperor, this is my country, I've conquered over it. I'm the prime minister, I'm the boss of this factory. Actually, there's nothing to give up because we don't own anything anyway. But we have this illusion that this is my home, this is my wife, this is my car, and so on, and so on, and so on. So, it's not necessary to leave all that to take to Krishna consciousness, but one has to leave the consciousness of thinking this is mine. One has to know how to change one's consciousness from that of Bhogabuddhi, I am the enjoyer, to Seva Bhavana, I am the servant. I am meant for serving Krishna. We are meant for serving Krishna. Even if we say someone is Seva Bhavi, he likes to, he's a great servant of the nation. But that also, that's not spiritual life, that's not eternal. That is also actually not beneficial. If you say, I am serving the nation, who or what are you serving? You're, you see, just like Mahatma Gandhi of Gujarat was famous as a great servant of this nation. But actually, you see, what is the difference? That previously the British were ruling this country. They had the illusion that we are ruling this country. And they were exploited. And now Indians are ruling India. They have the illusion that we are ruling. So one class of Indian is exploiting another class of Indian. Instead of being exploited by white men, you're being exploited by your own men. That's all. It's only the world of exploitation. And in the name of serving his country and getting independence, the country got split into two parts and there's a constant fighting going on inside and outside. And even the idea, I'm serving my nation, but not everyone was satisfied. He thought, I am doing for the benefit of the Indian people. But it was only an Indian who shot him. It wasn't the British. So, neither could he fully fulfill his dreams. Nor was everyone satisfied with what he did. And even if, after independence, Indian had become just like Swarga, which I think everyone agreed, it has not become nothing like that. Still, everyone is born in this land of India only for a short time anyway. And then you have to go and take birth somewhere else. So, serving the country, it's a nebulous idea. There's nothing actually very positive there. You're trying to make your nation better than another nation. It's another, it's another kind of envy. So, real seva bhavana, real bhakti, means for the Supreme Personality of Godhead on the platform of the soul, the Atma. Anything within this material world is contaminated by material desire and envy. And that means there is exploitation. Only on the platform of service to Krishna, that means the pure platform, free from envy, can there be actual manifestation of such ananda 
There is no question of actual ananda in this material world. It's much advertised in the modern age. Everything is advertised. All advertisement, whatever they advertise, the impression is given that by buying this product you will get ananda. Whatever it is. Whether it's toothpaste or car tires or insurance, in different ways they are suggest if you use this toothpaste, then you'll get a very beautiful smile, and then people will like you, especially the opposite sex will like you, and you will get ananda. Or if you take this insurance policy, then you'll have the feeling that I'm being very dutiful to my family, and then your wife will like you more, and you'll get ananda. Or if you use these car tires, actually it's pretty difficult to advertise car tires, I mean. So in the western countries, the car tire advertisements, they're all based purely on beautiful women, which has got nothing to do with car tires. <laughs> but they couldn't think of any other way, so actually that's how they advertise pretty much everything. But for car tires especially, it's famous. Pirelli car tires and nothing about like, you know, what, what does a car tire do? It goes on your car, right? But it's especially famous that they have car tire manufacturers, they make calendars in the western countries. And it's all full of beautiful women, so I don't know, somehow there's the idea that if you put this car tire on your car, somehow there's some connection with beautiful women and then you get Ananda. <laughs> exactly what the connection is, it's difficult to say, but somehow or other people, the people connected in their heads. Oh yeah, if I buy this car tire, then beautiful woman, Ananda, okay, I'll buy it. So it's all cheating. Everything in this material world is advertised that you will get happiness from it. Just like you see, the children, they go to school at the age of, did it get down to six months yet? It's about three now, isn't it? They start going to kindergarten. Soon it'll be, like, as soon as they pop out of the womb, they'll be enrolling them in some kind of pre- pre 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 kindergarten first of all they had kindergarten which was preschool they call it preschool now they have pre kindergarten and then there'll be pre kindergarten and pre 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 and like this so practically from the age of two and a half or something then they have to start learning and studying by the age of five they're already going to tuitions and then, and then it gets really intense by about the age of thirteen then they have to you see the kids, like, some, in some places I've seen them, five o'clock in the morning they're going to tuitions, and then they go to school, and they come back from school, and they have more tuitions, right up till night, and they're only like, you know, fourteen years old or something. So what's all that for? So that they can get a good qualification and go to a college, and then they can also study like sixteen, eighteen hours a day. And then after that, what for? So they can get a good job, which means they can get ananda. Because at the end of all of that, you get a good job and you earn, I don't know, 15,000 rupees a month. Oh, you see, so many computer software graduates, most of them can't get a job anyway. Or oh, they earn 2,000 rupees a month or something, working 15, 16 hours a day. If you drive an auto rickshaw, you'll get more. But anyway, the idea is that we work hard, work hard, work. That's just so you can get a job, so you can work hard, work hard, work, and then you get some money. 
And the, the ultimate idea is ananda. Isn't it? The idea is that never mind if you have to work 18 hours a day, 7 days a week, and your boss is a jerk, he's always shouting at you, but anyway, you get 15,000 rupees a month, or maybe 50,000 rupees a month, whatever it may be. The idea is you get some money, and money equals ananda. It's measurable. You see, if you get 2,000 rupees a month, you get 2,000 rupee ananda, and if you get 20,000 rupees a month, you get 20,000 rupees ananda. But actually you don't see that the 20,000 rupees, they're not ten times more happy than the 2,000 rupee people. But there is this myth which is propagated that ananda is measurable in terms of rupees. But there is another propaganda that there is a, a absolutely higher standard of happiness which is called dollar ananda. Go to America. But we don't find that people in America are intrinsically more happy that because I am getting paid in dollars, whereas in India are only paid in rupees. Of course it is more practical, you see, you have one big bunch of 50 rupee notes and you get one $100 bill. So it's more practical to have one note than a hundred with a big, big staple in it that you, you know, takes you five minutes to get it out. So, certainly America is better organized for material prosperity. But we don't find that people in America are intrinsically very happy. As a matter of fact, there are more than one million people in prison in America. Did you know that? More than a million. That's a lot of people. The whole population is only 270 million. And uh, every 49 seconds someone is arrested in America for selling drugs, only for selling drugs, not to mention murder, burglary, etc, etc, etc. Every 49 seconds someone is arrested for selling drugs. So it would seem that on the whole people in America they're not so happy as you might think they should be because they're getting dollars. If you go to New York you won't find people jumping in the street. I'm so happy! You won't find any such thing. Not in New York or Los Angeles or San Francisco or Dallas or Houston or any place. In fact, they're all full of tension. Unlimited tension. It is a myth that we will be happy by getting more money. But on the basis of that myth, from the age of two practically, in India, children are just sent and they're put into this pressure cooker. Study, 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 study. Why? To train you so that when you're finished, study, 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 you can work, 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 And there's nothing left in your brain to even think of anything else. And at the end you get money. Oh, I'm still happy. Okay. Now I got money, and now rent, food, dowry, children's education, and what happened? <laughs> However much you earn, it all goes away. If you earn more, then you think I have to have a bigger car, I have to send my children to a better school. So whatever you earn, your expenses go up. That's all. 
There's no happiness. So real happiness means to... First of all, we should understand what it means, how we can be happy. To understand that we are Atma, we are spirit soul. We have nothing to do. Ultimately, we have nothing to do with material life. As long as we're in this world, okay, you have to do something, you have to, maybe you have to work, have a job, this, that, the other. But it is not the be-all and end-all of life to simply get a job, work hard, get some money and die. We should understand who we are. We are spirit soul. By nature we are meant to be happy. That is why we are searching for happiness. We don't find people, I am seeking unhappiness. I'm, we don't find people trying to be unhappy. We don't find people that, of course there are some perverted people who, they're sadists or masochists, that's the word, masochists. They deliberately cut their body and they, that's a kind of perverted psychological condition where they try to make, give themselves pain and in that they get some kind of happiness. But that's insane. But we don't find that people are seeking unhappiness. We don't find that someone said, well, you know, I, I had an accident and uh, I broke every bone in my body and wow, it was great. I really enjoyed it. And I was walking in the street and a, and a truck hit me and I fell down and there was this blood spattered everywhere and all my bones were broken and it was really great. You should try it sometime. I recommend it. It's a different kind of experience. No. It's, that's miserable. But we don't find someone saying that, you know, I'm, I'm working at the office 18 hours a day and I don't have enough money to pay my bills and, you know, the, they have to pay for my children's education and so many things and it's really wonderful. We don't, people complain like that. They don't say that, you know, my, my life is really wonderful. I've got so many bills and I don't have enough money to pay it and my wife's ran, ran away with the next door neighbor and you know, everything's great. It's really wonderful. My mother just died and uh, you know, and uh, all my friends, they turned against me and a dog bit me and you know, everything's wonderful. You know. We think that happiness comes from making a nice, so-called nice material situation. We try to make a nice material situation. We think if the dog doesn't bite me and if the truck doesn't hit me and if I don't have so many bills to pay because I'm earning so much money, then I'll be happy. But one thing we find is that even if we try to arrange our material situation so that everything is nice, still things happen which we don't want. However much we try, it may be that we can't pay all our bills. And even if we do have enough money to do whatever we like and so what and so forth, we still find we're not happy. So actually, if we're a little bit intelligent, we can understand that happiness is something that we want, but the endeavor to attain it by material means is a failure. Therefore, we should take this knowledge, Bhagavad Gita as it is, to understand how we can actually be happy. We can actually be happy. What is that? By understanding Bhagavad Gita. What is that understanding? 
that our happiness lies in serving Krishna. Very simple thing. Arjuna could understand this. That's why Krishna spoke to him. And others, they may be big, big brains, but if they're not ready to accept that I am a servant of Krishna, then they can never understand Bhagavad Gita. It's a matter of attitude. Simply this attitude that I should place myself as the servant of Krishna. If we understand that, then we can understand everything about spiritual life. We'll take it up very seriously. We'll achieve the happiness of Krishna consciousness, which is on a completely different platform to that of the self-motivated grabbing, which is material happiness. On one hand, grabbing. On the other hand, trying to control others and exploit them. Suck everything out of them. This is so-called material happiness. It is not happiness. We cannot actually be happy by trying to dominate others and control others. Do we think that Stalin was a very happy person? He was a big dominator. Do we think that Hitler was a very happy person? Or even, of course, the politicians in India or in other countries of the world today, generally we don't think of a politician as a very good person, but they, we don't find hardly in the world today there's anyone as bad as Hitler or Stalin. But they're all uh, trying to control and exploit in different ways. They say, we are doing for the service of the people. We, we know it's all a bluff. They want the position for their own self-aggrandizement. But we don't find that they're very happy people. We don't find that big businessmen who are earning lots of money, they're very happy people. They may show like your film stars, they're paid to smile like this, to look happy, when they finally marry the girl of their dreams or whatever, who's actually, it's only a bluff, it's only a film, it's only a cinema. <laughs> they're only acting. But uh, in their own life, you won't find they're actually very happy. They're very disturbed people, actually. They live very, these film stars, they live very disturbed lives. They're, there's no stability in their lives. So they're not actually happy. But you see how foolish people are. That this cinema, what a big business it is. In India, hundreds of crores of rupees get turned over every year in making movies and people going to movies. Huge business. And what is it? It's just on the platform of fantasy. It's got nothing to do with reality. Some story of people who don't actually exist. And they have a plot, a story, and it's all just fantasy from beginning to end. And people go to this and they, their mind becomes absorbed in it for, what, two hours, I guess? The average movie lasts for, what is it, two hours, something like that? They become absorbed in this and it's all just make-believe. It's got nothing to do with reality. You see how foolish people are. So we have to come to the platform of intrinsic reality if we're to actually achieve happiness. Simply watching some people on a cinema screen dancing around, that may give us some ephemeral sensation. Oh, very nice. But it, is, it doesn't go to the core of our soul, to the core of our being. This is required. We have to seriously take to spiritual life. But that means we have to have the preliminary qualification 
of being ready to accept what Krishna says. We can't have this, on the one hand, this bluff kind of material existence where we're trying to pursue material happiness which is based on phantasmagoria sense enjoyment I will enjoy material life we cannot have that and have spiritual life the two things don't go on side by side real spiritual life means to come to the platform of reality of understanding ourselves on God on the deepest platform and material life means simply halka, very light, nothing serious, everything very shallow. You see, people are very shallow, otherwise how can they go to movies? That means that they're not actually interested in anything very deep. They're simply interested in some manoranjan, entertainment. Just simply to divert the mind. So one can enter into the real Satchidananda life, but that is not for those who are taking it very cheaply. If we think that spiritual life is another kind of manoranjan, then we'll get manoranjan, but we won't get spiritual life. Actually, real manasik ranjan comes from understanding Krishna. That is one name of Krishna, Chitaranja. That is actually a name for Krishna, who gives pleasure to the consciousness. But that pleasure is not the cheap pleasure of seeing a dance in a movie, or doing your own dance during Navaratri, or going to a disco. Nothing to do with that. That is the happiness of the soul in his pure state, surrendering to Krishna. So the preliminary qualification for entering into this is the serious and sincere intent to do so. Spiritual life is not for foolish people, for people who are not very serious. It is for people who are very serious to understand the reality of existence and not only understand talking about it but to actually enter into that by acting on the spiritual platform. So there's nothing actually very difficult to do in Krishna consciousness. There's nothing very difficult. Simply we ask, chant Hare Krishna, lead a pure life. But it is the intent and the purpose that is very serious. Therefore Krishna chose Arjuna. You should hear Bhagavad Gita. You're a devotee. You're serious to understand me. Hare Krishna. Is there any question about this? If we don't understand then we won't follow. Therefore we emphasize. Understand. Try to understand. Regularly hear. Regularly hear Bhagavad Gita as it is. Then our conviction will increase. Then our dedication will increase. Dedication only comes from the conviction. No one can be dedicated in any, th- in any field unless he's convinced of the need to do so. 
So to be dedicated in Krishna consciousness, we have to be convinced of the need to do so on the philosophical platform. So be convinced, dedicate, understand Krishna. There's no other question, then we'll chant Hare Krishna for a few minutes more. Is that all right? <laughs>